Hello, and welcome to the Valley Voices podcast from New England Public Media. I'm Vanessa Cirillo, and today I've got something special for you, something we've never done in the long and lustrous history of this podcast. Today, you're in for a treat. Joining me in the studio is Jacob Nelson, the producer of Field Notes, a live storytelling show from our local heroes, CISA or Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. Our first ever guest, Katie. This feels exciting. We should have brought snacks. What's up, Jacob? I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hey, Vanessa. It's good to be here. So if you've lived in Western Mass for even a minute, you've seen that bright yellow bumper sticker on literally every car, the one that says, Be a Local Hero, Buy Locally Grown. Seems pretty straightforward. I love a clear and direct messaging campaign. Tell us a little bit about CISA and how you help people do that to buy local food. So CISA is a nonprofit whose mission is to engage all of you, our community, in building a strong local food system here in the valley and hill towns. We work alongside farms, farmers markets, restaurants, really any place that grows, sells, or uses local food, and we connect them to the resources and expertise that they need to thrive. Right, so you're a resource for growers and producers, as well as for people like me who want to eat all the good things growing here in Western Mass. And CISA caught the storytelling bug back in 2018, which is why you are here right now talking to me on the Valley Voices podcast. Right, telling stories about the value of food and how it impacts our lives has always been part of CISA's mission. Sometimes that means helping local businesses tell their stories in the media. But the reason I'm here today is Field Notes, a live storytelling show where folks across the region share how local food and farming have colored their lives. It's a lot like Valley Voices, but it's all about our local food system and the people behind it. Yes, so many incredible stories from people growing, cooking, and eating right here in Western Mass, which is why we invited you to guest host the very first Valley Voices Field Notes Collab Special Edition podcast. Take it away, Jacob. Thanks, Vanessa. (laughs) Let's dive right in with a poignant childhood story from Lori Cuevas, one of the most powerful ever told on the Field Note stage. A note to listeners, this story contains references to suicide. If you or a loved one is struggling, help is always here. You can call or text 988 anytime to be connected to a trained crisis counselor. Here's the story from Lori Cuevas. That's what it sounds like when my dad calls cows. He's been calling cows for a really long time. Neither of my parents were born dairy farmers. My dad grew up next door to a farm and was gifted a heifer calf when he worked there, and he named her Harmony. My mom was born in Long Island and raised there. She met my dad uh, while she was in nursing school in the Berkshires. So by the time I was born, Harmony had grown into a herd of cows. <laughs> now, I'm not really sure if my dad wanted a boy, but for some reason, he called me Ralphie. <laughs> I've always been Ralphie. And to this day, I remain Ralphie. So when I was really young, my parents decided it was time to buy their own farm. So they bravely took out a loan, and they bought a 350-acre farm in Cheshire, and cut down trees on the property. They milled the lumber, and they built a beautiful barn, because 
The cows were really important to us, and their comfort and their care was everything. So our worlds revolved around taking really good care of our cows. So it was a great place to be a cow. Great place to be a kid, too. So I grew up like every other kid that you would imagine growing up on a farm, right? I was filthy. I had very often no shoes on. I rode horses without saddles or bridles. I swam in ponds and did all kinds of filthy little farm kid things. But I, I also had a lot of responsibilities too. So I had chores. I had to feed the calves and I learned to milk cows. And I threw a lot of bales of hay. And my dad would say, Ralphie, you throw hay like a girl. <laughs> On almost any given day. <laughs> I was also in 4-H, and it played a big role in my life. Uh, I went to lots of shows with my cows, so I would bring them to the local fairs. I was that kid sleeping in the barn with the cows. Um, and even down the road here, just at the three-county fair, I had my favorite cow, Cory, at the fair. She was huge. And um, on a dare, I rode Cory into the show ring. Uh, <laughs> the judge was surprised. And my fellow 4-H'ers were delighted. <laughs> so when you're on a farm, you get a lot of visitors, right? So people love farms. They want to come to your farm. They love it, right? We always had visitors. Everybody drops into your farm. Well, when I was a teenager, I started to notice um, other visitors, people that I didn't recognize were there. And um, they were well-dressed. And they carried little notepads. And uh, they were awkward. Uh, <laughs> They, um, but they went around and they did things like count the cows. So they counted cows and they tiptoed through the mud and the manure and they counted tractors and our equipment and they made notes about those things. Now, my parents have always been very open with me and um, they talked to me about the farm crisis that was going on in the country at the time. Milk prices were incredibly low and um, it was truly a crisis for farm families across the nation. So they also told me words like foreclosure and bankruptcy and dispersal. One night, we sat down for dinner. My parents, this was after chores, of course, but my mom and dad, my brother Mike, my sisters Heidi and Jill, and we all sat down for dinner. And my mom put a large bowl of green beans on the table from her garden and a pitcher of cold milk from our cows. And I waited, and I looked around, and I finally asked the question, is this all we're having? And it was, because there was no more money after the milk check to buy any food for our family. What I didn't know until years later in an adult conversation with my dad, he said, you know, Ralphie, when you asked if that was all we were having, he said, I don't know if you remember, but I had to excuse myself really quickly so I could go outside because I didn't want you kids to see me cry. He said, I'd never felt like such a failure in my life. And I said, Dad, oh my God, I'm so sorry. 
I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I, I love green beans. I, I still love green beans. I love green beans. So the day came that our cows had to leave. And the trailers backed up to the barn, and they opened up the gates. And we began to push the cows down toward the trailers. And they were confused, didn't understand. But, but my parents were there, and they talked to them, and they trusted my mom and dad. And so they calmed down. And one by one, they climbed on the trailers. And as they did, my mom and dad said their names. It's OK, Penelope. Come on, Elsa. It's okay, girl. It's all right, Hazel. Hiccup. And my Corey. She walked on like she was going to the biggie. <laughs> she didn't know. And so when the doors closed on the last of Harmony's descendants, it was too much. And I had to turn and run. And I ran down through that empty barn. I ran through the concrete bunks that still had feet in them that the cows were never going to finish. And I ran down the cow paths where their feet had worn them smooth with their hooves that they would never walk on again. And down through the pasture where the green grass was still flat from where their warm bodies had lain the night before, where they chewed their cud so peacefully. And with every step I took, I thought, why? Why did this happen? How? What are we going to do? Where will we go? And as I ran, I thought my lungs were going to burst. But I kept running. And just as I thought I couldn't run one more step, I was about to fall to the earth. A pair of arms caught me from behind. It was my dad. And he was right behind me the whole time. And he said, I got you. I got you, girl, I got you. And he turned me around, and he said, Ralphie, listen to me. He said, they can take away our cows, and they can take away our tractor, and our plows, and our barn, and our house. But you know what? They can't take away what's inside of you and who you are. I need you to be strong. And I need you to be proud of where you came from. And you might wonder why I'm standing up here telling you a 34-year-old story that I obviously still haven't healed from. But right now, it's the same story that's going on across this whole country. The same story is happening over and over. Farmers still don't have control over their milk prices. And every day now, because of social media and because of the friendships I've formed across the country, I hear the stories every day. I see photos of empty barns, and I hear stories of broken dreams and broken hearts and suicides.
just this week, another one. Another farmer who couldn't, couldn't bear to leave his farm. And 34 years later, in the mornings and in the afternoons, I think about how this wasn't the path I thought it was going to be, but it was always a clear path. I knew where I needed to be. So every morning and every night, when I yell, kibosh, 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 to my own little herd of cows, I can hear my dad, and he was right. And I think about my fellow farmers, and I think, I got you. I got you. Thank you. All of us, we've got you too, Lori. These days, Lori and her cows live at Thomas Farm and Dairy in Sunderland, where she also takes care of an enormous herd of dairy goats. Their cheese is fantastic, and their cheese curds are too. Lori is still very close with her dad, Fred, and cows are still a big part of his life too. Fun fact, Fred's pet steer, Tommy, was just recognized as the world's tallest living steer by Guinness World Records. Six foot one at the shoulder and over 3,000 pounds. That's a lot of cow people. <laughs> All right, moving from tallest steers to hottest chefs. Up next, Supicha Hillenbrand serves up a spicy love story. Here she is from the Academy of Music stage in 2019. When I first met Chef Phil through my boss, I was falling in love with his smile. He looked very kind and very cute. He told me that he owned a small Italian restaurant in West Springfield, Bottega Cucina, and he also a CAA grad. Back in my mind, it's like CAA is an undercover cop. <laughs> and he also owned a restaurant. Such a weird combination. <laughs> Later on, I found out that CAA stands for the Institution of America, a coronary institution of America. It's very well-known cooking school. Oh, wow, he's a real chef. But you know what? I'm still so brave enough. Right around his birthday, I cook him uh, one meal, a green curry chicken, as his present. His comment was like, wow, this is really good, babe. It's delicious. But I think the Thai food would be a little bit more spicy, right? Ooh, quite a challenge. <laughs> a few days after, I cook him another dish. Lab guy is a spicy chicken salad. Phil didn't know that I made my own dry chili powder. So the spicy is a little bit more intense than the store-bought. <laughs> this time I put like two or three spoonful of dry chili. <laughs> Guess what? I told him, you need to eat it by hand with the lettuce. His first bite is like, oh my God. This is so good, babe. It's so good. He tapped on my hand. Oh, my God, it's so delicious. 
And then I look up at his face. He's sweating. <laughs> his face all turned red. My hand all turned red. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What's wrong with us? And then I just told him, it must be the chili. And we both just laughed. He holding my hand and he said, babe, nobody ever cooked for me because I'm a chef. They probably feel intimidated by me. Only my mom, my grandmother, and now it's you. Trust me, he was on the DL thinking of me for two days. <laughs> At that day, I broke his spicy palate. <laughs> Ever since then, he out eating spicy more than average Thai people. I guarantee. I told him that my dream was like one day I would love to host the Thai cooking class. He's suggesting me, why don't I do the farmer market first and see it from there? The next thing I know, I'm in an old station wagon, bringing some, some two or three items of the Thai food, selling at the farmer market Forest Park in Springfield. I sold out almost every week. So I upgrade to a minivan, <laughs> adding more menu items rotating the food every week. One thing I love about the small community of the farmer market is I get to know the farmer, the customer, all the vendors personally. I'm using honey from Tom. I'm buying the garden and plant it from Dave Farm. I grow my own garden from my backyard using the herb, you know, the fresh ingredient to cook fresh food every week to serve on Tuesday at the farmer market. It's like I cook food for my own family. And I feel very touched and happy. I got a great response and support from all the people. The next thing I know, Phil came to me again and said, we are ready for the next big thing. What, what, tell me what? Food truck. Yes, more menu item for me. That's how the Thai chili food truck was born. It's allowed me to the big window opportunity to go out and meet new people, meet new family, friends, you know, to showcase my food that I have passion in it. Sometimes I tap myself on the shoulder, wait, one day you would do the cooking class. But I forgot. The person that all helping me out, be my assistant all along for the past five years, was Chef Phil, my husband. He was helping me making a curry. He cooked rice for me along the past five years, way better than me. <laughs> Perfect every time. Without his support and his encouragement, I wouldn't be here. The Thai chili food truck wouldn't exist. Thank you, Chef Phil. You are my first student, and you already graduated. <laughs> that was Supicha Hillenbrand.
She and Phil are still happily running the Thai chili food truck together. They just added a second truck and are serving at farmers markets and events around the valley. They do catering too. Supicha's life has been full of firsts. First generation immigrant, starting her own business, and this was her first time performing on stage. It was nerve wracking, but she also told us, I'm very happy I worked through my fear and was able to tell people who I've become today. When I go out in the food truck, people recognize me from Field Notes, and it makes me happy that a piece of my story touched their heart. This is the Valley Voices podcast from New England Public Media. I'm Jacob Nelson from CESA, and with one more Field Notes story for you, where farmer Pete Solis reminds us that some things in life we can control, but other things, well, we're just gonna let him tell it. I was already sweaty and I hadn't even gotten out of bed. The cicadas were buzzing and the sun had just crested over the treetops. So I threw off the sheets, rolled out of bed and got ready for morning chores. So much of my farming experience has been about control. Things I can control, where my cows are, where my chickens are going, what my website looks like, and things I can't control, like the weather and other people. (laughs) I get outside and I meet up with the woman who works for me over the summer and she says, Pete, there's something going on with the turkeys. There's something caught in the turkey net. We use this plastic netting to keep the turkeys close to their mobile coop for a couple days, then we move them along to a new spot. And I say, this will be interesting. A lot of other species like to eat chicken and like to eat turkey. We've had bobcat, we've had fox, we've had raccoons, we've had bears. Lots of things like to eat turkey. But usually, they're gone by the time I get there. Not so today. We walk up the hill to where the turkeys are, and I see the net is all tangled up, and there's a brown lump in the middle of it. I walk up closer, and at my feet, I see a decapitated turkey. I say, oh. I get a little bit closer to that brown lump, and it slowly turns its head up to me, and I see these green gold dinner plate eyes, And I didn't know this, but owls hiss. This thing is pissed. (laughs) And it's terrified. And I have no idea what to do. I think to myself, birds, 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 bird people. I grab my cell phone and I call up the Audubon and I say, hey, I've got a great horned owl that's tangled up in a turkey net. And they say, what's a turkey net? And I go through the whole thing. And they say, well, here's a list of wildlife rehabilitators. And I I copy down the list and I start making phone calls. I get an answering machine, I get voicemail, I get a phone that just rings and rings and rings. I get a this number is disconnected. And I'm down to the bottom of the list, one number left. And I call it. And guy picks up, and in a voice that is far groovier than any wildlife rehabilitator has any right to be, he says, yeah? (laughs) And I give him the whole rundown, and he says, dude, just let it go. (laughs) Okay, 
And he says, but you're going to need to watch out for those talons. The beak is going to scare you, but watch out for the talons. And I say, okay, I know what to do now. I go back to the house. It's about 10.30 now. It's 97 degrees. I'm already drenched, but I go up to my room. I get on my double front work pants. I go down to the basement. I get my big, thick winter coat. I go out to the shop. I pull on my welding gloves. I grab my logging helmet with the face shield. And I'm walking out there, sweat pouring down my face. And I reach down as gingerly as I can, removing this owl, and it's hissing at me, and its beak is clicking. And I have it. After the obligatory photo is taken, <laughs> I do what the guy says, and I let it go. And it swoops off silently into the pine trees. And years later, I'm thinking about control and farming and all of the things that I can do something about and all of the things that I can't do something about. And that groovy voice comes back to me, and I think, dude, just let it go. <laughs> Thank you. That was Pete Solis. Pete is a former board member of CESA and now a former farmer as well, having traded in his overalls for a stethoscope. That's right. Pete is a nurse now, still looking after the health and well-being of animals. Just now those animals are, well, people. Thanks for being such a caring guy, Pete. So, Vanessa, it's been such a pleasure to share these stories from the field with you all. Yes. Thank you for bringing your stories to our podcast. Let's do this again soon, Jacob. Thanks to Pete, Supicha, and Lori for being part of our food ecosystem in Western Mass and for getting up on stage and talking about it. Oh, before we go. Yes. I should probably tell them, right? I think so. All right. You, listeners are the first people in the world to know that CESA's Field Notes is returning for a fifth show next March. And we're looking for storytellers. So whether you're a gardener, you work with food, or you just eat from time to time, <laughs> hint, that's all of you, you have a place on the Field Notes stage if you want it. If you've never performed before, that's fine. We provide a lot of coaching for this one. We're even offering interpretation so folks can learn and perform their stories in Spanish or another language. To learn more about this opportunity, visit buylocalfood.org slash fieldnotes. And to learn more about CISA and all the work we do, visit buylocalfood.org. That's it for this episode of the Valley Voices podcast. Huge thanks to Jacob for hosting the show with me today. I'll be back with new stories in a few weeks. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Valley Voices Story Slam is produced by New England Public Media and the Academy of Music. This show is produced by Katie Wright for New England Public Media. How about that steer, Katie? I literally cannot look away. <laughs> An amazing Guinness Book of World Records winning steer. His name is Tommy, and you can see him too. TikTok.com slash dairy goat mother. Jacob, did you see this? I did. Unbelievable. He's so cute. How can you be 3,000 pounds and that cute, honestly? <laughs> 
Yeah, he is a steer, but he is also the goat. He is the greatest of all time, the greatest steer of all time. He's also named after Tom Brady, another goat familiar in these parts. All right, that's it for this episode of the podcast. See you next time. <laughs>